while we're talking about changes, be on the lookout for uh, some changes coming to. Uh, there's things in the works, like some discipleship classes, things like that. So um, if, you, if you'd be interested in something like that, attending something like that, what is discipleship? It's just getting to know uh, the Scripture more, getting to know Jesus more. Um, it's what we're called to do, to become disciples, become followers of Jesus. Take us from believers to followers, right? How many know that you can believe in Jesus and not follow Jesus? Amen? Amen. How do I know that? Again, for 35 years, I believed in Jesus, but I didn't follow him very well. Some of you are saying, well, what's happened in the last 12 years? I haven't seen any. Uh, hopefully, I'm becoming a better follower. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. Now, I'm not going to read all of this chapter. I thought about that, but then I thought I'm not going to put them through that much of my droning voice. We're going to pick up in verse 13, but I want to tell you, I want to set the stage for you just a little bit. The beginning of the chapter, we have the the women very early in the morning going to the to the tomb with the spices that they had prepared for the body of Jesus. They're going to the tomb early on, on Sunday morning with spices that they have prepared for the body of Jesus. They show up and the stone has been rolled away. They go in and it's empty. There's no body of Jesus. And they, they know for a fact that this is where Jesus is supposed to be, but he's not there. They If you read some of the gospel accounts, they saw where they laid him. They watched where they laid him. Where is he? This is where he is supposed to be. They know they're in the right place. This is the spot, and they're sure of it. They're confused. They're puzzled. Then two men in dazzling white robes, dazzling white raiment. I don't wear white very often because when I do, I always have a white hoodie that I love. But every time I wear it, I end up at... Uh, bandanas or rib crib and get barbecue sauce all over myself. My daughter Hannah, one time I had this really tacky white suit and uh, <laughs> the one time I wore it, we go to rib crib afterward and she was moving, she was little. I don't know, this is not in your text. Uh, she spilled the mustard barbecue sauce all over my white suit. Oh, Devastated. It was, it was probably of the Lord. <laughs> you only wear white suits at weddings. <laughs> All right. It's actually been proven that uh, preachers who wear white suits are the least trusted. <laughs> if you're going to preach and you want to be trusted, wear blue. That's what I've heard. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. So the women, they they come to the tomb. This is where he's supposed to be, and he's not there. They're confused. They're puzzled. Two men in dazzling white raiment, they show up, and they say, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He's not here. He's risen from the dead. You were not wrong to look here. He was dead, but he's not dead anymore. And I get excited, and and, and this is going to be my happy part of the sermon. I am excited that Jesus has risen from the dead. Amen? He has risen just as he said. Death could not hold him. He overcame. He defeated death. He marched to the gates of hell and ransomed and took back what is rightfully his. Jesus Christ was so full of life that when he became, uh, came face to face with death, 
His life swallowed up death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Death is swallowed up in victory, the apostle Paul will tell us. So life-giving is this Jesus of Nazareth that death itself gets swallowed up in his life. Amen. Amen. Jesus is alive this morning. He rules and reigns. 4,200 different religions in the world in one empty tomb. And I, I, I believe the accounts that Jesus is alive. I'm not going to go deep in, into all the weeds of that, but I believe it. One of the reasons I believe it is the apostles' testimony. These men were tortured, and they would not give up. They would not change their mind. Peter was crucified upside down. And his wife was taken and crucified in front of him. And he said to her as she was walking off, remember our Lord. How could you say that if it wasn't true? Anyway, I believe in the resurrected Christ. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And if he didn't raise from the dead, if he's not alive, let's all just go home. Because if Christ is not risen, then we are not redeemed, Paul the Apostle will tell us in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ is not risen, then we are, our sins are still on us. Okay. God is good. All right. We haven't even read the scripture yet. So after this encounter, these, 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 these women that go with their spices that they have prepared to the tomb, they go... Uh, to the tomb, they meet these angels. The angels say, hey, Jesus is risen. They run back. This is good news. They run back and tell uh, the 11 and then some of the others that were gathered, and they don't believe them. They thought they were crazy tales. What are you talking about? Get out of here with that nonsense. And it is in this context, the women, the women, the women, and keep getting my singular and plural uh, mixed up. The women see the angels. They find the empty tomb. They run back to the apostles. They tell them, look, he's risen. We've seen angels. Ah, whatever. Peter at least gets up and goes and checks it out in this account. John tells us another account where he likes to talk about how fast he can run. But Peter goes and checks it out. They come back, none of the others believe him. And it's under this context of the death and burial of Jesus, then this crazy story about how he may or may not have risen from the dead. Nobody has seen him. His body's not there, supposedly. And it's in, these context, in this context that we pick up verse 13, Luke 24. I'm going to read it. That same day, what same day? And I just gave you all the context. This, this is the story right after Um, Peter going and checking it out. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. That's about a two-hour and 20-minute walk if you're walking at a relaxed pace. Um, And that's that's if you're wearing uh, hukus or uh, brooks shoes. I mean, these people had handmade sandals. Um, So it probably took at least two and a half to three hours to get to make it make it there, the seven-mile journey. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, 
What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus said. I love that. (laughs) I love that about Jesus. He wants to hear about your life from your mouth. We serve a God who knows everything. He knows everything. He knows everything about you, but he wants to hear you say it. What things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and at the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and he gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and at that moment he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road, and explained the scriptures to us, and within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven disciples and the elders who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told the story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking bread. Lord, I thank you for the scripture. God, I pray in these next few moments as we look deeper at it, God, that we would see you in all of your glory, that we would see the love that you have for us, that we would see the power that there is in your name. God, bless these next few uh, moments. God, bless us, our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I'm fascinated by this story. I've preached many times about this encounter with Jesus. I'm, one of the things I'm fascinated by is the, the two-hour Bible study that these two got from Jesus, from the Old Testament, about the scriptures concerning him. I would love to have been there. I would love for it to have been written down. I would love to have that. That's fascinating to me about this story. But like I said, it's a seven-mile walk, about two hours, 20 minutes, maybe three hours. I imagine that they probably had a pretty relaxed pace. And I want to pick out a couple of phrases from the text this morning, and we're just going to focus on them, and then we're going to go to a time of communion. But first, I want to try to identify this other disciple. We know that Cleopas is one of them because he's named 
Has anybody ever heard of Cleopas before? I mean, you can, a few of you have, no? Okay. I haven't, I mean, I've heard of him, but because I know the story. There aren't too many churches called St. Cleopas. He's not a big deal in church history. <clears throat> but he's a big deal to Jesus. He's a big deal to Jesus. You might not be a big deal to anybody, but you're a big deal to Jesus. So let's try to identify. I've heard, I've heard others say that it was uh, the, Luke. He wasn't, he wasn't one of the, the 12 apostles. He was one of the 70. Some people say it was Luke, the writer of the gospel that was with Cleopas. But I'm going to make the argument that it was his wife, Mary. Because we know that his wife, Mary, from John, the 19th chapter, was at the cross of Jesus. John 19, 25, Jesus' mother stood beside his cross with her sister and Mary, the wife of Clopas. Mary Magdalene was standing there too. In John 19, Clopas is spelled a little bit different, but we know from history that it is the same name. It's a different spelling of the same name. We, th this shows up in the naming of the apostles, the 12 apostles, uh, multiple times as well. So we know that Mary, the wife of Clopas, was in Jerusalem. And later we say, it says that they came from their home. So I'm going to assume that this is Mary and Clopas, husband and wife, walking home. Now you can disagree with me vehemently, and that's fine. And on Easter Sunday, when it's your turn to preach, you can talk about that. But I think that it was Mary, Cleopas' wife, Clopas' wife. I'm not saying his name right. And if that's, the, if that's true, if I'm right about that, in her we have somebody who was face-to-face -face with the crucifixion. So I want to pick a couple things out about, uh, from the story. And one, things, one of the, the phrases that I want to pick out are, what things? Because as Jesus joined them on their journey, they were talking about the things that had happened. And Jesus said to them, what things? What things? Well, Mary had seen firsthand these things. Mary was face to face with the cross. Mary, the wife of Clopas. She would have been probably eye level with the spikes in his feet. She heard every agonizing breath from Christ. She no doubt saw the, the spear thrust into his side. She heard the gasps that with every single breath he took, he had to push with his feet just to get a breath. That's what made crucifixion so cruel was that you had to decide, do I want to breathe and experience this awful pain again? Or do I just want to die? It was a cruel, cruel death invented by the Persians, perfected by the Romans cruel way to die. And this is the son of God on the cross. And Mary saw it. She saw the, the, the torn flesh. The, she saw the blood just leave his body. Sometimes I watch uh, Dateline NBC or, or listen to like a podcast of like a, 
some kind of murder mystery. And I always wonder, at what point do this, does the person know I'm not recovering from this? That was a fatal blow. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've always thought about that. Like, at what point do they think, oh, wow, this is probably the end. And Mary had seen that. Mary, the wife of Clopas, she had seen the point of no return. We can't blame her for being skeptical and her husband for being skeptical because people don't come back from crucifixion. Everybody else that Jesus had raised, Jesus raised a few people back to life, right, in his ministry. They didn't have the wounds he had. Their bodies had not suffered the trauma his body suffered. You don't come back from your back being laid open by the whip with bones and, and glass in it. Exposed ribs, exposed organs. You don't come back from that. She saw that. We can't blame her for being skeptical. Because these are the things that they had seen. And Jesus said, what things? She watched as, as his mother cried. She anguished herself. This is why I think they were skeptical. And then they respond to Jesus. Are you the only one who hasn't heard about these things? Where have you been? How ironic that to Jesus of all people, they're saying, are you the only person who doesn't know what happened? Where have you been, buddy? Where have you been? How ironic. And the irony of that question is not to be lost on us. We're to think about it. We're to meditate about it. That Jesus asks us sometimes some strange questions. But I truly believe that he wants to hear with our voice. That's why I think it's so important to spend time in prayer, to spend time in worship, so that our voice, so that we can give voice to the concerns in our heart. God wants to know what's troubling you. He already knows, but he wants to hear it from you. He already knows, but he wants to hear it from you. He loves you that much. So what things? That's the, that's the first thing I want to take from it. What things? And, and I just kind of went through a little bit of the things. They had seen the trial. They had seen the miscarriage of justice. That's, and they tell Jesus that when they're telling him about it. They had seen him crucified. And then they say something fascinating. They say, we had hoped. We used to hope. We once had hope. We wanted it to be him. We wanted a reason to hope. We have been waiting on a deliverer. They say that to him. We thought that he was going to be the one to deliver us. We wanted a deliverer. We wanted it to be him. We believed it was him. We had hoped. We had hoped. And I know that to, some of you this morning can relate to that because some of us have lost some hope. Some of you this morning, if you're honest with yourself, you've lost some hope. You had hoped that this would be the year. You had hoped that everything would be back to normal. You had hoped that they would survive. You had hoped that your children would make better decisions. You had hoped that they would lead a different life. You had hoped for these things. You had hoped that that job would work out or that you wouldn't get laid off. You had hoped that, that your ship was finally coming in. You had hoped all of these things. And they had hoped. 
and their hope was gone. And some of you, I think, this morning are feeling the same hopelessness. Because we had believed, we had hoped that we would be spared that pain. We'd hoped that at this point in our life we'd have things figured out. We'd hoped that this ache and pain in our hearts would have passed by now. And so Clopas and Mary are pouring out their heart to a stranger. To a stranger. They had hoped. Their hope is admittedly gone. Because they said we had hoped. They've got no more hope. That's why they're leaving Jerusalem. They're going home. They had come for the Passover. After, after, the, after the, the previous Palm Sunday when Jesus rode in on the donkey, they thought, man, this is it. Pastor Walker talked about it last week. And this is it. We got to get to Jerusalem, honey. Pack your bags. We're going to Jerusalem. I want to be there. When the coronation happens, when we're delivered from Rome, when we're delivered from Caesar, when Jesus finally takes his place. And Jesus wasn't what they expected. Pastor Walker talked about it last week. The fake Jesus. Where we make a Jesus of our own expectations. Their hope was gone. They had had enough and they were going home. They didn't have time for silly tales. They knew all too well that you didn't come back from crucifixion. They had seen many crucifixions. In, in, in Jesus' day, crucifixion was pretty common. In fact, uh, Rome would often bring the, uh, any insurrectionists and then they would crucify them along the roads. Uh, if you read N.T. Wright's book, The Day the Revolution Began, you read of how, uh, I believe it was 600 crosses lined the roads. And this would have been in Jesus' time. And for days, men would just struggle and die there. This is what they would do to people. They would publicly punish people so you would know, don't cross us. Don't test us, or this will be your fate. They had all seen crucifixions. That's why when Jesus says things like, take up your cross, it was so offensive. Good people didn't talk about such things. And they had seen him crucified and they left. They had intentionally left. They'd intentionally walked away from the city. And some of you this morning, I just know it. I can just feel it. You have walked away. You're here just because it's Easter Sunday and that's, that's it. You know, I'm here because my parents want me to be here. I'm here because I want to make somebody else happy. Your faith is gone. Your hope is gone. Jesus will come after you. Jesus will come after a nameless person and a guy that 99% of you had never heard of. Historical, and again, Clopas, I apologize. You know, if you're one of the great cloud of witnesses right now, don't be mad at me when I get to heaven. A historical nobody. We get his name two times. He's not important in church history. The, the church was not founded upon him. He has no churches named after him. There are no monuments built to him. He's just a guy. 
who's lost hope and is going home. And Jesus comes and finds him. Jesus comes and finds him. And then if you read the end of the story, they, they run back when they finally figure out it was Jesus. And they say, we have seen him. And they say to them, but before they can say, we've seen him, they say, Jesus is alive because he appeared to Peter. What? He appeared to Peter? Why him? He's a failure. Peter failed. The biggest test of his life. I'm here to tell you this morning that if you have lost hope and you feel like a nobody or if you feel like a failure, Jesus will visit you. He doesn't just go after the somebodies and the everybodies. He goes after, he will leave, he says, I will leave the 99 and I'll go after the one. And if you feel hopeless and faithless and like you're a failure this morning, I am here to tell you that I have good news. That Jesus Christ, the resurrected Christ, is seeking you. He's after you. He's looking for you. He will find you. And I, I truly believe, and my, my cousin said this a couple weeks ago, no, all roads don't lead to Jesus. But there's not a road Jesus won't come down to get you. They were on their way away, and Jesus came for them. Jesus came for them. They were hopeless. They felt like, uh, or they even, these are their own words. They were hopeless. And Peter himself was a failure. And Jesus came to them anyway. So nobody's excluded from Jesus. He wants you. He's coming for you. You haven't failed too many times. You haven't lost hope or faith enough for him to not want you. Okay, so that was one of, the, one of the things we had hoped. Their hope was admittedly gone. But that did not stop the resurrected Christ from seeking them out. I have a, a photo, or a, it's a painting actually. I, uh, it's, it's, of this, um, it's a portrayal of this road and this walk. I think I sent it, I may or may not have... Uh, if I did, I didn't. Okay. Okay, that's all right. It's not a big deal. It's just the road to Emmaus. It's, it's, it's a, a couple people, a couple walking along, and then you see this almost invisible figure, and it's Jesus. And, and it says that they were kept from recognizing him. And I believe that in our lives, sometimes that happens. I believe we don't always see him. Okay, so the next uh, thing I want to take out of the text we read was things concerning himself. Jesus told them, uh, opened to them up the scriptures about things concerning, uh, concerning. I just made up a word. <laughs> you know you're going to get that. I better take a drink before I make up another one. Concerning. It's contraction. <clears throat> Verb. Uh, things concerning himself. Jesus opens up the, script, the scriptures. He teaches us here how to read the scriptures. 
I believe he does this a couple different times. Do you remember the Pharisees? Uh, he's, he's confronting the Pharisees, and he says to them, you read the scriptures because you think they give you everlasting life, but they are speaking about me. And then here he opens up the scriptures. He tells them that the scriptures said that he would suffer. The scriptures said that he would suffer before he comes into his glory. And Christ did not suffer because God was punishing him. In Christ's death, we're told by scripture that God is in Jesus on the cross, reconciling the world to himself. And that's what's happening on the cross. God is not far from Jesus. He's not abandoned Jesus, but he's in him. Even though Jesus feels alone and forsaken. You get that from the cross, right? And, and so I just want to encourage you, when you feel alone and forsaken, God's not far. God is not far. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He has not abandoned you. He's not forsaken you no matter what you're going through. God has not turned his back on you. He loves you. God loves you. He's not abandoned you in your suffering. He's right there with you. And sometimes God is scarcely seen. Sometimes we, uh, we struggle and we wonder, is God even with us? We wonder, why is he silent? Why doesn't he take the pain away? Why am I going through this? And sometimes the resurrected Jesus is not visible to us, but that does not mean he's far off. Jesus even felt this sense of abandonment. Father, why have you forsaken me? And we know that Jesus is quoting Psalms, the 22nd chapter. And at the end of the chapter, he says, you have not forsaken me. You have not left me. You love me. So Jesus walks them through all these things that the scripture says about them. He, he shows them how the, the prophecies pointed to him. And the life that he lived. They still had their idea of what Jesus or what Messiah would be. They thought it would be all glory and no suffering. But that's just not the life that we're called to. We're not called to all glory and no suffering. Jesus himself told us, in this life, you'll have trouble. But take heart. Because I have overcome the world. So I just want to encourage you this morning that if you feel alone, if you feel lost, if you feel abandoned, you're not. Jesus is right there with you. He's right there with you. He has not abandoned you. He has not left you. He's not going to leave you. He's right there with you. He's holding you. Amen. Amen. I've only got one uh, point left that I want to share, and I'm going to ask the, uh, I'll go ahead and ask the band if they'll come back up at this time. If you have the, if you're reading the King James this morning, in the King James in chapter, in verse 35, it says, they're, they're coming back and they're telling about this encounter with Jesus. 
And they say he was made known to us in the breaking of the bread. He was made known to us in the breaking of the bread. And this part of the story, they come to, the, they come to, the, they come to where they are going. They've, they've reached the end of their seven-mile walk. And it says that Jesus acts like he's going to keep going. I love this about Jesus. Jesus is not going to force his way into your house. Jesus is not going to force his way. But he acts like he's going to keep going and they beg him. They say, no, please stay. It's getting late. What do you, what do you mean you're going to keep going? It's dangerous out here after dark. Come, stay with us. So he goes into their house. And, and we might just read over this as being no big deal. But it was a Jewish custom when you were a guest. The guest and the host had their own roles. I'm not talking about Lambert's roles. I'm talking R-O-L-E, their own role. The host would break the bread and bless it. It was the responsibility of the host. In fact, it was rude for someone else to take the host's job. But as they sit down to eat, Jesus takes the bread. And he breaks it. And he blesses it. And immediately they see him. They see Jesus. Not who they imagined that he'd be, but they see him. Not the fake Jesus, the one they've built up in their mind, but when he breaks the bread, they see Jesus. And immediately he disappears. Now that we finally know who you are, where are you going? And I know for us sometimes, I wish, I said at the beginning of this message, I wish I'd have been on that walk. What I would give to spend a moment with Jesus. But we don't have to wish. Because he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood. It's a sign of the new covenant that I am making with you. He said, I'm going away, but it's good for you that I do because I will send the Holy Spirit. And now I, I'm not just in one place at a time. I can be everywhere at all time. And he's here with us this morning. Jesus Christ is here with us this morning. So Jesus breaks the bread. And their eyes are opened. And so it's my prayer this morning that as we break the bread... And this is a, what you're going to be given is a poor excuse for bread. In fact, I'll ask John and Walker if they'll pass that at this time. But it's a symbol. It's a symbol of the body of Christ. And the cup is a symbol of his blood. And it is my prayer this morning that as we break the bread and as we bless it, that Jesus will be revealed to us. The God who follows the hopeless, the God who appears to failures, the God who takes our sin, takes our shame and nails them to a cross, the God who suffers just like us, the God who also dies. See, Christ did not keep himself from dying. Christ did not excuse himself 
from our experiences. He could have taken the easy way out. I don't like roller coasters. I was on uh, the Timberwolf one time with my cousin Angie. She's back there. She can confirm this. And at the last minute, they came to close the bar and I said, I'm out. (laughs) And I got up and she just kind of looked at me like, really? And I took the chicken exit. Tells you a lot you need to know about me. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels and he could have got out of there. In the garden, it says that in the garden, he could have called 10,000 angels and he could have been, I'm out. But he didn't because he knew that we'd have to die someday. And he knew that if he walked through death, that he would make death a door and not a finality. And so he walked through death. He experienced death so that when we die or our loved ones die, they're not dying alone. He meets them on that journey. He takes their hand. He walks through the door with them and he leads them to the Father. There are those that we have lost and it's painful, but they are not off in the abyss somewhere. They are face to face with Jesus Christ this morning in the presence of God the Father and Jesus. We don't have to wish to spend time with Jesus. We can experience Him now. And it is my prayer that our eyes will be opened to who Jesus is. He does not keep himself from our experiences. He lives a life. He laughs. He cries. He suffers. He dies. He goes straight into death, not through the side door, and he doesn't take the exit. But that's not the end. He resurrect, he's resurrected just as he promised. And because he lives, we can live. the same God who the spirit that resurrected Jesus comes so that we can have life. Romans 6, 11, 10 and 11 says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. This Jesus is pursuing you. The Jesus that followed the hopeless is here this morning. He's right here. He hears the cries of your heart and he's asking you what things, what are the things that are bothering you? What are the things that are weighing you down? What are the things that make you feel hopeless? He wants to take those things from you. I read just in a study this past week that 44% of young people feel hopeless. It's up from 12% from 2009. Our world is dark. People are hopeless. And in this age of social media, what's the big change from 2009 to now? This is where I live my life. We're not meant to live our lives like that. We're meant to commune one with another. What did the CDC recommend for for young people who are feeling this way? Getting together, face-to-face contact. 
They don't say this, but I will. Like in a church. You want to restore hope to this generation? Be there for one another. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. He, he brings the hope. Without Christ, we are, with, if we, if, if we, well, without Christ, you're like that sentence I just tried to say. Hopeless, going nowhere. Beyond redemption. But in Christ, we have hope. In Christ, Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. He's knocking this morning. He's knocking. And as you receive the body and the blood, open up and let him in. Let him heal, heal those things that are hurting you. Let him hear why you're hopeless. Let him heal you this morning. Invite him in. As we receive communion and as we sing and worship, open your heart up to him again. Maybe you say, look, I've, I've been down this road, but now I'm on my way back to Jerusalem. Open yourself up to Jesus today. He will bring hope into your hopeless situation. So as, as we sing, meditate on that image this morning of opening yourself up to him. Jesus is walking with you. He found you. He was looking for you. And now he's knocking. He's not going to force his way in. He's waiting for you to open the door and let him in. Let's uh, spend some time in reflection and prayer as we sing. I take the bread of life Broken for all my sins 